We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. All work and no play makes Farrington a dull boy. <laughs> this guy's adult anyway. <laughs> Welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am not Farrington Crypto. If you've been here before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, we take a conversational approach to literature, breaking down some of the most important stories in a conversational way. Today, we are tackling counterparts off of the Dubliners collection by none other than Mr. James Joyce. And as always, start off with publication information. Dubliners was published in 1914, and we'll leave a link down in the description below where you can read and listen for free. Instead of repeating ourselves, we're putting together a before you read video. Go check that out for some of the background info as we jump into today's story. Let's hit that plot real quick, and then we'll jump into our discussion and analysis. Real quick, uh, I think the themes are kind of consistent through all of Dubliners because one story flows to the next. We have obviously the idea of abuse, responsibility, and then maybe a little bit of that nationality class issues in this story. So for plot, an unnamed narrator tells us this story. A young man named Farrington works at an office when he's called by a very angry boss, Mr. Elaine. He's chewed out for not having finished his work. Farrington feels the draw of slipping out of the office to drink. He returns to work and realizes he won't finish his work in time, and thus ignores completing two of the letters in time. He begins to daydream of alcohol again when Mr. Elaine returns to berate him for his shoddy work. Farrington is upset, leaves work, pawns his watch to drink some more, and we uh, meet a lot of his drinking buddies. He checks out some local chick at the bar, has an arm wrestling match with a man named Weathers, and spends a lot of money drinking. He heads home to his lower middle class area of town, calls to his wife, Ada, who is not there and instead is at chapel. His son, Tom, tries to get him some soup, but lets the fire go out. Farrington takes his anger out and frustrations on the boy, threatening him verbally and physically. The story ends with Tom pleading for his father's forgiveness as he advances to beat him. Mm, this one gets my blood boiling. <laughs> this is Joyce probably at his finest for uh, bringing out the emotions of a reader. Because you start out almost kind of like cheering for Farrington, I would say. Like, he's kind of funny. You know, he calls his boss egg-shaped head. Like, head. it's kind of funny in the beginning. And then he drinks, and you're like, yeah, I, I understand what that's like to have a rough day. And you're just like, ah, I just need to get out and get a drink. I'll be better after kind of, you know, kicking it back with the boys, if you will. And then he does it again, and you're like, okay, that, that's a lot of drinking. And then he starts to sell his watch, and you're like, oh, oh, um... Oh, okay, we, we have a problem here, right? Like, obviously, we're doing this too much. And then he beats his son, and you're like, oh, my gosh, we he needs help. Like, this this is a story that you are going to feel more so, than, I think, than most of the others in this collection. 
this story is relatable to like a lot of people. It's right in the middle of the book. This is where we have kind of maybe our middle age, you know, not exactly crisis, but Farrington is a relatable guy. He's almost charming. Most of us had a bad day and thought, man, I just cannot wait to get home, get my feet up and have a beer, a glass of wine or whatever you do to relax. And you empathize with him, but then he takes it one step too far, and then another step too far, and then he's leering at women in the bar and kind of, you know, wasting his money when he should be at home taking care of his family. And then he goes home, instead of taking care of his family, and he has his son consoling him, he goes and, you know, physically and verbally abuses his child, and the kid is still trying to console the father. Like, that's not how that relationship is supposed to play out, and it's very telling of Farrington as an individual. I think Joyce just gets people on a whole other level, all different types of people. And he sees how our relationships with each other, like we shape each other. And that's what just makes Dubliners as a whole just so beautiful, the way these different types of people shape others in their community. And just like the rest of the Dubliners collection, we have paralysis. That's that's like a main thing through most of these stories, as, as we've talked about in the before video. But in this one particularly, like, Farrington, he fails to do a lot of things, right? Like, he, he doesn't complete his work, right? He's obsessed with going out to drink and such. He fails at arm wrestling. He fails wrestling. at moving Gets forward by to, yeah. to talk with the girl. Um, yep. Speaking of which, did you pick up what the girl's accent was? She was not from... Ireland. Where was she from? She had a London accent, so okay. So she's English. Yeah. 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 So, so there's always like kind of like that little meta game for all of these, you know, Dubliner stories of like what's the nationalism, home rule argument here? Because at the time, of course, Ireland wasn't an independent country; it was ruled by uh, England at the time. And there's always kind of like that question of, you know, James kind of thought that. The nationalism held his people back, the Dubliner people back, that they they cowered behind it and f- sometimes even viewed themselves as inferior, right? And and here we have Farrington failing to go connect with her. And we have a lot of English names in this story. But, you know, that's all that's just in a lot of these stories in Dubliners. And it's kind of like just like one of those fun little nods to always kind of hide into them. I, I love how Joyce writes in this repetitive nature. And that's something that I think in modern times a lot of us can relate to. We get up, we do our same routine. I know that I do that as a school teacher. I get up and do the exact same thing every morning. I have first period, second period, third period, etc. And I have maybe a boss that doesn't respect me. I have all these things go wrong throughout my day. And then I, I, I my wife is beating on me. I just, I just, I'm stuck in this prison called life. And my only escapism is alcohol for Farrington. And is that because of what was done to him? Because we see that, right, when he verbally and physically beats his son, was that how he was treated as a child as well? And we just see this repetitive nature kind of time and time again throughout the story. One of the things that Joyce likes to do is talk about duty. We have certain duties to our countrymen, to our families, our wives, to our children. We have some of us who are religious have duties to our religion. And these are all these these structures and expectations of how you're supposed to behave being put onto you. Now, what's interesting about Farrington is how does he prioritize these? And you're, you might kind of like scratch your head of like, well, well he doesn't. <laughs> like he oh, just he constantly puts drink first. Yeah. He puts his play before his work, which is always 
going to be an issue for anyone in real life or in a story, right? Yeah, he's put his vice as the priority throughout his day over his work, over his wife, his family, his children, everything. It's his vice is his number one. And that may represent an addictive personality or something else, you know, deeper underlying, underlying problems. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By the end, I think we're meant to believe that he's an alcoholic, right? Because like, you also reevaluate things that happened earlier. When they talk about him being thirsty and his throat kind of being dry, like you're like, okay, I get that he wants to go drink. You reevaluate that and you're like, oh, he, it's, it's no longer like I just want to escape. It's now an automatic response of addiction, right? Yes. Yeah, you see he's the guy that's, you know, fidgeting and adjusting his tie and, you know, he's looking at the clock every five minutes and he's the first one to bolt out the door to head down to the pub. Yeah. But there's some other things that Joyce layers into this story, too, where he's constantly putting play before responsibility in the story. I thought it was really strange. You don't even hear about the wife until like halfway through the story. Like he's hitting on this woman at the bar. You think he's single, I think, at this point, unless I totally missed it, okay? But she's not a prominent figure. By the end, she's a prominent figure. Let's say it that way. And then the same thing with the children. You get to the end, you didn't even know he had children, I don't think, really. And then it becomes a prominent role at the end, where again, all of the play, the drinking, the selling the watch, the going out with friends multiple times, all happens before responsibility of family. Family being one of the structures that Joyce talks about being, you know, a, a system, a framework of responsibilities put on an individual. So we have the play before the work, even in the story, for how data is presented. And then also, we have the names, too. You'll notice that the, the, the people he works with, the people he doesn't care about, they're Mr. Elaine, Miss Delacour. Like, they're just one name. And a lot of the friends, you know, like Patty Leonard, Nosy Flynn, like, they have two names and they have nicknames. Like nicknames, his, yeah. The play, right, those are more prioritized. Those are more characterized and brought out than even the work, the, the responsibility, uh, not not in terms of order, but in terms of how much you know attention's put to their names, even too. So Joyce even puts uh, the, the structure of the story, the names of the characters. All of this is prioritizing play before responsibility. Two things, I think, because the story feels like it's just about at the halfway point. You do see that transition structure of the story of the first half and the second half as you're moving from the first half to the second half of the book. But I also ask you this. My second point is if he is portrayed as a bachelor, so to speak, or single, uh, having no responsibilities to quote a family in the first half of the story. And then those are kind of thrust into the story, the second half and become the driving point. Does that change your opinion of him? I think it does for me personally. Because you had really powerful lines that were very shaping for this character, where the wife exhibited some of this. uh, You started to talk earlier about abuse being handed down. Well, without family, he has nothing to hand down. And I think that takes away a lot of that. The the heritage, right? When he gives away his, his watch to go drink more, watches sometimes are viewed as heritage. It's passed down you know, son, you know, father to son, generation after generation. Here he is just getting rid of his heritage in a sense with maybe nothing behind him. Well, I guess it it still works then in that sense. But I think it does impact the fact that he's not handing down this trauma or these problems and not helping push Dublin forward. Instead, he's pulling Dublin back in a sense when he does have a family. And even his wife, we have that quote, His wife was a little, sharp-faced woman who bullied her husband when he was sober and was bullied by him when he was drunk. 
And we see even how his wife is pulled down by the drinking and the problems that some Dubliners had in James Joyce's eyes. Oh, I love that. I love that subtle nod there because that's that meta stuff about, you know, Dubliners and, and Dublin itself. And maybe overall, the whole city's problem with drinking is that when we're good, we can we can hold ourselves up over others. But when we drink and we succumb to our vices, we're going to be viewed down upon by the rest of the world. They're going to look down upon us. Ooh, that's good. I like that. Well, we end up at probably the saddest part of the story, and that's the boys being, you know, beaten at the end. Only sad part for me. I felt bad for Farrington. Like, I, you want him to do better. You want Dublin to succeed. You were rooting for the Dubliners, I feel like, yes, in this collection. Yeah, you're true. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. But even so, I'm still angry at him. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. And to me, what was really powerful about this boy is where did he look for salvation? He called his out— his father and religion, right? In, in religion, exactly. And that's where his mother was, at the chapel, right? And that's another one of those nods throughout all of Dubliners is how James will criticize religion. The idea that it isn't helping them. It isn't saving and pulling them up. It's pulling them back. And here we have Joyce's putting this boy in a situation where he just, uh, he, he's helpless. He needs help from someone, whether it be his mother or his siblings. And he doesn't have those. So he calls out to God and there's no answer for the boy. The boy is going to get abused I'll probably every night because this is one of those things that Farrington is just stuck, like you said, the middle-aged man in the prison of his own life. Do you think that Joyce is almost blaming God here because the boy cries out and gets no response? Has this horrific event happened to him? And where is the mother at the time she's being pulled away from God? Because if she was there, maybe she could have been some type of buffer between the father and son, between Farrington and Tom. Oof. That's, I, um, that's pretty harsh criticism, huh? Well, I, I think you, the way you phrase that, like, I don't look to change it, but I would say the way you phrase it is, do I think James Blaine's God? And I don't think he does because James Joyce. The church, I'm sorry. He, the he church. stepped away. Oh, the church. Okay. Much, much different interpretation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The church. I apologize. The, the, the Catholic church. He, he was never, he was never a friend of that. So I, I always kind of expect the jab to be there in a sense. So, okay, I so guess, just a little, little, little slight jab. <laughs> so the final question I'd have for you, why call this story counterparts? This is the part that I struggled on. A lot of the other stories in Dubliners, I kind of understood the names of them, the dead, the story that comes after this clay. Uh, I was struggling with this one. Is this, is the wife the counterpart? Is him being a better person a counterpart? Like, is is the duality of Farrington's nature of being a drunk or sober, an alcoholic or a good father? Um, there, there's that idea that you touched on earlier of duality. So that's, I was I was going to that for a counterpart, but who is Farrington's counterpart? I think it's questionable. I think you can go down, even if you don't look at it from a character perspective, you can even look at it from a thematic standpoint, right? The counterpart to... The abuse that, you know, that that the boss gave to Farrington is when Farrington gives it to the boy. It doesn't even have to be opposite. It could just be separate parts. But I think what I ultimately laid, laid into for my interpretation on this one is what if you looked at this story? So, so break the fourth wall. We're looking at it as a story, a structure of Dubliners compared with the other stories in this. Because it ends with the boy 
calling out for religion to help him. Like he needs help finding God or church to help him. And to your point, this goes directly into clay where we meet Maria, who is the peacemaker, the veritable peacemaker who's looking to help people find God, right? This is all part of whether he did it on purpose or we're looking at, you know, the clouds and the clouds just line up perfectly. Dubliners is literally like the most crafted, perfect collection of short stories where this literally will just flow directly, perfectly, thematically into clay, where we talk about religion being, you know, what what happens when someone dedicates it to it. And to that point, after that is what uh, a painful case where you have the opposite, where you have the male version of it, where someone who's looking at himself only as opposed to relying on others. I think counterparts works better when you look at it of how this story is a counterpart to all the other stories in this collection and how the pieces are connected in this collection. Did you use that phrase on purpose? Because the story right before this is a little cloud. Oh. <laughs> man, you're genius. Or it was a good turn of phrase. I don't know, I, I man. I would love to pretend I, maybe that Maybe Joyce I did is that. channeling you from the grave. <laughs> I, I would love to pretend I did that on purpose, but a total accident. Wow. Let's, let's end That's on funny. the positive note there and pretend that I did that on purpose. Down below, we're going to have a playlist of all of our Dubliners talks as we go through them story by story, talking about them, about our interpretations. Joyce is one of our favorite writers, so we love kind of taking a look at these stories. So let's move into our subjective wrap-up and ratings. I'm going to do a new approach here. You, You hit me with yours first. Yeah, so I normally, you know, we give we've been kind of ranking these stories throughout the entire book and giving them numbers. And I know sometimes we do numbers, sometimes we don't do numbers. And I, I apologize if the numbers offend you. I apologize if you get mad when you're looking for our number, and because that's something that helps give you a definitive: is this quote good or bad, or what did Crypto or Una think of it? But I think I want to stop giving numbers to the stories in Dubliners, and I just want to give. So far, and this number may change over time, um, I just want to give the whole book a 9.5. We've read nearly half of these stories now. (laughs) We're going to finish the book by the end of the next year. I'm sure you have it scheduled out. And my number may go down to a 9 if I start hating a few of them. It may jump up to a 10 if we get some more that are like Clay and the Dead that are amazing stories um, or R.A.B. This is something that I think is meant to be enjoyed in its entirety. I love that we've sectioned it out because I like having our conversations. Uh, but this just this is an entire book that is a masterpiece. And I laugh because I'm doing the exact same thing where I'm like, I'm kind of done writing these individual stories. <laughs> I feel like I, I'm actually just I'm going a different way. I'm just going to give the whole book a 10 because okay. I, I can't name a better short story collection out there. And I agree there's going to be highs and lows, right? Like it, writing has highs and lows. You have artistic imperfections that some people care for, some people don't care for. I, I think this is about as perfect as collections go. So I'm just going to give all the stories tens from here on out, and I'm done trying to rate them individually <laughs> because individually it also doesn't tell that story that we were just talking about, how all these stories are connected and, and the way that they're crafted together. Whether on purpose or not, who knows? It works for me. Yeah, pick this one up. You can get it really cheap. There's definitely not a story that you will not enjoy. So start with the dead and work your way backwards. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, hit that subscribe button. Check out the playlist for all the Dubliners talks. We will see you guys as we post videos every Monday and Thursday. Una out. Peace.